Tony Ivino is an author, poet, attorney, and is the Oceanside Library's Assistant Director of Community Services. His essays and poems have appeared in numerous print and online literary magazines and anthologies, and he is the founder and host of the Summer Gazebo Readings here in Oceanside. A resident of Rockville Center, Tony has received numerous recognitions for his community service and his work within the literary community, including having been named Long Islander of the Week by Newsday in May of 2011, Citizen of the Year by the Oceanside Chamber of Commerce, and Kiwanian of the Year. He is a recipient of the Community Service Award from the Long Island Writers Guild and the Make a Difference Award from the Town of Hempstead, and he was honored by United New Yorkers for Choice in Education. A native Long Islander, Tony is a graduate of the University of Richmond and St. John's University School of Law. He was recently named a Legal Eagle by Long Island Pulse magazine. Tony has served on the boards of a number of non-for-profit organizations and was an elected trustee on the Oceanside Board of Education. Tony is married to his childhood sweetheart, Angela, and they have two daughters, Amanda and Allison. Tony, my question is, and it's a real question, not a question of an interviewer, it's an actual question I have for you, is what in your background or what in your education um, do you attribute to your charitable nature and your desire to uh, create community where you live? I think it actually comes, clearly comes from my mother. Um, where I, you know, I was raised, we didn't have much money in the house. Uh, there was a, not there was not a lot of money. There was no money, uh, but we were always. She always made sure that we were participating in community activities, uh, raising funds for. Uh, I remember for Vietnam uh, orphans, and there was always some, something like that going on. And I was also raised with even though it was funny that looking back we didn't have anything was that I had more opportunities than anybody else in my family before I was the first first one to go to a, a four-year college um, and so it always came back that uh, it was always impressed me that that I owed I owed back mm -hmm. you know um, so when I graduated when I graduated college you know I was able to go down to the University of Richmond almost entirely on scholarship. It was actually cost me less to go to Richmond than it did would have gone to Nassau because I didn't have to buy a car. Mm -hmm. So for years I stayed very active with because I felt I owed back. But I guess going back, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I don't. By the time I hit high school, uh, pretty much everything I did, I had some kind of a leadership role. Um, I just have never felt very comfortable being the uh, the second tier person. Um, when I played sports, though, I mean, there were times when I was, you know, the, on the second team, and right. I played as hard as I could. Uh, but uh, you know, I was class president and you know, captain of the JV team and that kind of stuff. So it, it always seemed like I was uh, uncomfortable with not being in a leadership role. I, I, I want to say right off the bat for me that I'm in the presence of two published authors, and at some point during this conversation, I may be quoting you, but I'm going to take this opportunity now to quote Richie Woods. Uh, in Richie's book, Legendary Locals of Oceanside, he begins Chapter 5, the focus of which is on civics and religious leaders. And he says, there are people whose thoughts and actions are tied to the well-being of others. They are leaders who alleviate local problems, initiate community-building events, and provide activities for children and the elderly, 
and advocate for the less fortunate. Tony, that's a, a perfect description, I think, of you and a number of other people in the Oceanside community, past and present. Um, Betsy and Bob Transom, Al Cullinane, Nancy Baxter, Cy Majid, no. Sandy Scholl. That, that's Marianne an, that's Lara. Marianne yeah, Lara. That, That's an amazing, uh, um, I'm, I'm honored that you would even include me with, with them. I'm more of a problem solver. I mean, that's really what I like to do. I like, I like figuring out puzzles. I like figuring out hmm. problems. I like, um, whether I was on, when I was on the school board here at the library or my law firm, uh, of saying, all right, where, where are we going to go and how are we going to get there and what's the best way to do it? Um, and, you know, how can we reform this to make, to make this work better? So, uh, you know, I've tagged along, you know, behind the wake of the, many of the people that, you, that you've mentioned. I just kind of bring my, my organizational skill, I guess, is probably the best thing to put. Um, and the ability to sit down and, 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 you know, and think ahead and think, think it through and say, you know, well, where am I, you know, where, are we, where do we want to go? And then how, how do we get there? So, uh, like I said, it's, it's, I'm lucky that many of the people that you mentioned there, or all, everybody that you mentioned there is a friend of mine. Um, and so they kind of tag me, I, I tag along. They, they come up with the, the, the good things to do and then I try to help them. Well, you talk about your problem solving ability and your organizational skills. What did others bring to the mix that made them such a nucleus in the community that really impacted all of us in many, many ways? Well, it's, you know, it, it's funny. I, and I find this in most communities. There's a, there's a core of people that just get things done. And so, you know, if, um, if Bob and Betsy want to do something, let's say, like at the when they wanted to create Schoolhouse Green, okay, then they call on the uh, the people who are already active because they know we're going to say yes and, and we're going to help out. Um, so I, I think I think that's that's what comes from. And then, then there's a, a lot of satisfaction. I've never been the kind of guy. I've never understood why people would waste. I, I consider myself to be the biggest slacker in the world. I, I honestly do. I, I, I play video soccer and, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I read a lot. And, and if you ask me, I would tell you that I'm, that I'm a slacker. But I recognize that compared to a lot of people, I'm not. But, you know, I, I've always looked at it. I don't know whether it's from my childhood. We only have so much time here. We only have so much time. So I really try not to waste as, as, much, as, as much as possible, and, and I like challenges. So, you know, it's been great. There was a period of time where I actually made a conscious decision. Do I, did I want to do more work regionally and nationally or whether I wanted to concentrate, you know, here in the community? And I made the decision to concentrate here in the community. Um, and that's how, you know, eventually, uh, you know, I started volunteering at the library and then, and then took this position. Well, first of all, you, you're much too modest. You're not one who tags along with those people. You're in the midst of those people. And you spoke about thinking through to the end result of what you want to do. And you've gotten there plenty of times in my eyes, including you probably haven't gotten to the end in what you want to accomplish at the library, but you're certainly soaring here and uh, moving forward very quickly. Well, th thank you. Actually, one of the things that I've said to the staff a million times is that, you know, libraries now we're faced, it's a, it's a sea change. The, the, the old library is gone. It's, a, it's time to create a new library. And I say to them all the time, somebody's going to do it. Right. It's going to be a library in St. Louis or outside of Oakland or in It can be Oceanside. Right. So why not be Oceanside? And you I sound think like a coach because that's when we're in a situation where we have a team and we feel we're, we're pretty good. If 
if the kids don't feel like they can win it all, uh, they you know they'll just go along and play. But why not us? Why not us? Why can't we be the best? Why can't we be the best library? Right. Best team. Well, it's funny that you that you mentioned that. I, when I was thirteen, I was on the Massapequa Mustangs tra- travel team, football team, and we won the Long Island Championship, and we got to play the the New York City champions, and we beat them, and then we got invited to play uh, the Little Quakers, which was a select team outside of Philly, and we beat them. And we got invited to the Little Sugar Bowl. And we went and we raised money and we flew down and we played the, uh, uh, the, the uh, Georgia State Champions and then the Texas State Champions uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's down in New Orleans in the Little Sugar Bowl. And we were designated the national champions. <laughs> and, you know, I look back at that now. I mean, we started practice in July. We finished the last game was December 30th. And it was back then it was, you know, six days a week, seven days a week. Um, but... It showed me that there, you know, that you can, you know, that you can aspire to, to that stuff. Because who would think that, you know, a team from Long Island would be able to, to compete with with all these with teams, Texas, you know, and, and do these teams. So yeah, I like setting I like setting the challenges. Like when I, I, you know, years ago I ran the New York City Marathon, and when I ran when I was in May, it was I had lost some I lost a bunch of weight. It was May. That was back when you would have to put in to request to get a uh, an application. And a friend of mine, um, a great friend of mine, was uh, was going to run again, and he said, "Take a ride in with me." So I rode in, and I said, ah, "What the heck?" So I put in for the application. The next day, I started to uh, I couldn't run to the corner, and so that was May, and the beginning of November, I uh, I ran and finished the New York City Marathon. Hmm. After being at my sister's wedding the night before, which wow. I didn't realize <laughs> was going to be at the time, <laughs> and I partied the whole night. I wow. had like two hours sleep, but uh, so you know, this. I'm convinced that when, whenever anybody, if you really put your mind to it, pretty much you can do anything. Rich and I have talked about the fact how fortunate we feel about being in a community that has a resource available to its community members, like the Oceanside Library. Are, are people coming back to the library, or are they taking advantage of everything the library has to offer and all the wonderful programs that you put into place? Yeah, um, well, I've been here now a little bit over four years. Um, our attendance is up over 50%. Um, we have programs here now that nobody else in the country has. We have programs that nobody else in the state has. Um, about five months ago, six months ago, uh, our director, Chris Mara, and, and I kind of set the goal that we wanted to... Uh, cir- circulation has been dropping for every library. Um, we were at a meeting back in the, in the spring, and out of, every f- out of all 54 libraries, only one library had their circulation go up last year. And I had said to Chris, and she, you know, she's just a... she's fantastic. I said, well, why not us? So we've made changes in, we, we got some free displays from Barnes & Noble, from Barnes & Noble that went, went out of business in uh, Staten Island. Chris's husband and I, and Chris, we ferried back and forth. We got all these new displays. We changed the way that we, that we uh, faced the books out. We've put in all kinds of little games. And we've had five months consecutive of circulation going up. So people are using using the library more but what's been the greatest thing is and we've seen it you know it's it's having a having a really good director and a very supportive board makes this life a lot easier uh, but we've now seen where people are coming to me you know I had to reach out that first year to Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and say, why don't you come do your Eagle Project here? Why don't you come do your Gold Project here? Now they're coming to me. I had one uh, just made my, made my day a couple months ago. A, a woman came to me and she said that her Girl Scout troop wanted to do a project. And she said, well, fine, we'll do it at the school. And she, and she said, no. They all said, 
we have to do it at our library, <laughs> you know, so they, they own it, you Very know. Nice. Um, we got kids coming back, coming here now to, to, to study, and I mean, just the programs that we roll out. Very excited about this connections program that we've put in, uh, which we can talk about later. But um, yeah, I, th I think people are looking more and more uh, to uh, to us as the uh, as the center of town. Uh, when the heroin, uh, when we had all those kids from the high school uh, die uh, from opioid abuse, we were the we were the center. When they had the, when we had the hurricanes down in uh, Florida and Texas and Puerto Rico, um, I sent out one message. And 48 hours later, we had 17 groups from Oceanside represented. Um, they came in probably looking f to do like 14 different projects. They coalesced into two and had two very successful projects. Uh, now with our road system, we're going to be doing a road summit in March. So we're addressing the, the local problems as well. And so, I, yeah, I, the, the short answer is, yeah, people, people are using the library a lot more and they're looking to us for a lot more. Um, one of the other things that I would say um, in the introduction, it covers a lot, all of the, the wonderful accomplishments that speak to who you are. Um, but Rich and I thought about this also, that we have a common thread, uh, he and I, and that we grew up in Oceanside, we worked in Oceanside, we lived in Oceanside, and this is a community that we both love. You grew up in Massapequa. Right and moved to Oceanside. How did Oceanside get so lucky? How is it that you didn't wind up in Massapequa, but well, you came to Oceanside? The, the, the joke gain is their loss. The joke I say <laughs> is, that, is that my wife's family all lives in Massapequa. My family all still lives in Massapequa, which is why we moved to Rockville Center, just to, you know, to have, have that little space. Uh, but, but really what happened was, um, you know, Angela and I were, we were engaged at 19. I graduated college in three years, uh, so we were married at 21. I started law school at St. John's. Um, our first apartment was a two, two nine by ten furnished rooms apartment mm -hmm. in, a, in a house in Island Park, and then when we started to look, all right, you know, when I graduated, where were we going to go to live? Um, I had taken a job with a guy who wound up being my partner for 30 years, Joe Bondi, and, and our office is in New Hyde Park, and I just really didn't want to commute from mm -hmm. Massapequa to New Hyde Park. I mm -hmm. knew me, I, we didn't have kids at the time, but I knew what was going to happen. Um, and so we had an apartment in Rockville Center. We, we liked it, but we wanted the Oceanside School District. We specifically said that. So we moved into our starter house. What, what year was this, Tony? Well, I graduated law school in 82. Um, we had an apartment in Rockville Center for about a year and a half, and then we bought a house uh, in Rockville Center by the Oceanside School District, mm -hmm. the School 5 area. Um, it was our starter house. 35 years ago, so, so it's, it, we're, we're still there. Um, so that's what happened. And actually, quite frankly, at the beginning, like I was, before my, the kids came, I was coaching Rockville Center Little League, and I was involved in Rockville Center stuff. And then as soon as my kids hit the school district, I got sucked right into Oceanside. Right. And, uh, and then started meeting all of these wonderful people, and got on the school board, and you know, kind of went from there. You were on the school board Three years? Yeah, 94 to 97. It was... Uh, was that longer, not shorter than you originally anticipated, or...? Um, you know, I probably th thought going in that I was going to serve two terms. I, mm -hmm. I you know, I, but what happened was, um, I could talk about it now, um, I would, got so into it that it was destroying my practice, because um, it was a heck of a lot more fun talking to a, you know, a PTA president at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then calling a client. And so, and plus there was a little bit of a recession at the time, and uh, it just, it, it was just all-consuming. Plus my kids were still young, 
And the way I jumped into it was, you know, was when we were doing redistricting and there was all kinds of restructuring stuff going on. And it just was, uh, it was just taking too much away from my business and too much away from my social life. So I decided not to run, run for re-election. Um, I always liked it, but, you know, I know me and, and I, there's just no way I was going to go into it. Uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't be one of those, one of those guys, those people. Do it. Halfway. Yeah, you know, I mean, we don't have any board members now that do this, but in the past, there's been, you know, there's been board members that show up at the meeting. You know, they listen to it, whatever right. it is, they kind of vote along. Um, but I was never, never like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also that that particular time, I know both of you remember, it was crazy. We were having a thousand people at board meetings, twelve hundred people at board meetings, and this was before social media, thank goodness. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, you know, and that was a perfect example of. of I kept saying, we were talking about whether to open up, reopen school four or not to reopen school four, and I kept saying, well, how many kids do we want to have in a class? And they kept saying, the superintendent type kept saying, well, we'll figure that out later. And I said, well, no, we need to know that now because if we're going to have, right. that tells us how many classrooms we need and that tells us where we're going to put put everybody. Um, and uh, But, you know, I, I felt like I got a lot accomplished in those three years, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fixed up, the, fixed up the buildings a lot. Um, you know, at school five, we put in the, uh, the bus circle. Uh, at school six, there's that road that wraps around school. Mm-hmm. That one, it was one o'clock in the morning. My wife and I were coming home from a, a wedding, and I pulled in, and I w- got out, and I was pacing off that roadway to, to, see, <laughs> to see because the traffic used to, you know, uh, for school at school six, used to bunch up right mm-hmm. where the building's grounds is now. Yeah. There was no outlet. Right. Mm-hmm. So we developed that outlet. So it was, it was that kind of stuff. Uh, one other thing from my school board days, which was I thought was pretty funny, the board was split, so it was very contentious. Um, and I went to a meeting about uh, at the time about uh, putting computers in the classrooms. And Oceanside had had a policy. The plan had been to put them into one grade and then the next year put them into the second grade and go like that. And it stalled when the economy got bad in the early 90s. And I went to a meeting, and it was with uh, all of the librarians and media specialists and one of the assistant superintendents, Joe, Joe Roditis. And uh, BOCES was having a special on on these computers. So I said, well, and this is kind of how I've always tried to think larger. I said, well, how many, how much would it take? How many computers do we need to put a cla- computers in every single classroom, media rooms, wherever you want? How many, how many computers do we need? And how much would that cost? And I thought poor Joe Roditis was going, was going to have a heart attack. Because <laughs> actually, to tell you the truth, I leaned into him before this and I said, Joe, watch this. And he goes, no, 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 please. I said, no, no, no. And I said, how much would it cost? And so we put together this whole package, and now to sell it, I went to one side of the, the, the board, and I said, listen, we can do this, okay, and we can do this on a three-year plan and then have a continuing, rotating three-year technology plan. But, you know, the people on the other side, they, they hate technology. They're never going to go along with it. They said, do you think you, you could support it? And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. And they didn't really care about the computers. I don't think they just want who were opposed <laughs> to the other side. And then I went to the other side, and I said, you know, we really could do this, but, you know, they're never going to vote for it. When the vote came in at 7-0, everybody at the table was shocked. <laughs> I don't think we had a 7-0, uh, 7-0 vote to, to, to a take a bathroom strategy. break, uh, but we had, we had a 7-0 uh, on, on the computers. Uh-huh. That's awesome. So. I, I want to get back a little bit to the community. Um, what, what kind of vision do you have of a good community and I'm, I'm saying this hypothetically. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to put any onus on you that, you know, or other people to do this. But theoretically, what do you see as being a great community? And 
What would be some things you would like to see change in Oceanside's community? Okay, I, I, it's funny. We've been I've been doing a lot of research this year, um, and why we started that connections program um, on um, on communities and how they survive and and what has had impact. Um, there's there's a physical infrastructure that's involved in, in any community, and certainly Oceanside needs help with that because our roads are, are terrible. The, the, it's just, it's, it's it wasn't a planned community. It, it, it grew in different spots at different periods of time. To, say, to say the least, and, and, and we also had a situation where, because again, not being a, a village or not having good control, right. every time there was two acres of land, they slapped in 60 condos. Mm -hmm. and, and so there, there was no thought process to it. So there's a physical infrastructure, but then there's also a social infrastructure. Um, and while we have some of that, we don't have enough of that. We don't have enough people um, who are looking out for other people. Um, and, and I think that's, I mean, that's something that we're, we're, we're trying these anti-loneliness programs here uh, at the library. We're, we're going to try to help spark that. Um, but whether you go to St. Anthony's or you go to the temple or you go to, to, to Kiwanis or you go to any of the, the community service, it's probably a group of maybe 400 people, 300, 400 people. We kind of all know each other. Mm -hmm. But we have 38,500 people. Right. You know, there's not that much more uh, that, that would need to be, to be involved. Um, Do you think that that's part of the problem? There's just so many people. It's one of those situations where we're going to leave it to other people. They'll take care of it. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's part of that. I, I think there's a certain level of entitlement uh, uh, from a, from a number of people, mm -hmm. I think social media has been uh, devastating to oh, yeah. to local communities. I mean, everybody talks about how social media uh, has been uh, harmful on a national scale, uh, but what they what I don't think that they realize, uh, certainly the pundits don't, is how it has destroyed the fabric of of local communities, and not just Oceanside, because I've seen it right. from friends who who live elsewhere. And you know, and so that's that's can be that can be very frustrating. Mm -hmm. I think that's a uh, um, you know that that piece of it. You know, and and you can see when I say about the entitlement is that you know whenever a problem pops up, you'll you'll find fifty people will be on Facebook saying, well, why isn't somebody doing this? <laughs> you know, well, why why right. why isn't this being taken care of? Why isn't somebody doing it? Well, you know, right? You know, come on down and, mm -hmm. and lend a hand. You know, it's yeah. uh, uh, people are know. very different though behind. A computer or a phone, and, and feeling free to say something, when they remove that from them, themselves, they're a different person. Right. Something right. happens. There's a yeah. transformation. There, there's not a, a not a great way. No, there, there's certain there's certainly a, a level of uh, of ugliness and anxiety. And you know, for instance, I can just tell you on the, on local campaigns. Until social media hit with uh, with some of these anonymous Facebook pages and things like that, it was not uncommon at all for two people to run for a local office. And then for a couple of years later, for the, the winner to support the loser running for either that office or another office. Right. I could probably name you at least a half a dozen mm -hmm. of, that I was involved with. Now, these, these campaigns have gotten to be so nasty, and it's all through anonymous, because you know, these cowards will never put their names on anything, that it's, uh, it leaves a, a nastiness that, that just affects everything. Um, but you know, I don't have any solution for that. I, I can only tell you that what we can do here at the library, or what Kiwanis can do, you know, the groups that I'm involved with, is see where we have a problem, and and try the best that we can to meet it. What I would say uh, about K 
connection to the community and how we look to give back to the community, get people involved. One of the amazing things, one of the many amazing things that I think our school district does is to involve kids at a very early age, at a very early age, in community service. From kindergarten all the way up, it is truly a great thing to see how we are connecting kids to the important idea that we have to give back to the community. And that's certainly different than when you and I went to school. We Absol really did absolutely. not have that right. feeling that right. among, at least from our teachers and administrators, or right. that we had to go out and help our community. Are you seeing that in younger kids, though, now with, yeah. the, with the connection? and, and Abs Look, absolutely. I saw it in my own kids, uh, both of whom did a lot of community service. My daughter, Allison, who started the Builders Club in the middle school and um, helped start the uh, Gay-Straight Alliance in the high school. Um, my older daughter did a lot of, you know, she was involved in the Key Club, and, and both of them were always helping me. Here's what the problem is. Most of those kids are not coming back to live in Oceanside. They can't afford to live here in Oceanside. They can't afford, you know, we talk about it not being a planned community. It's, it's more than just the fact that, you know, we don't have a town square or we don't have a, a place. Part of the problem is, is that we have taken small homes, small starter Cape Cods and things yeah. like that, and blown them up to right. the point where it, where it's just people can't afford to, to live in. Actually, mm -hmm. Ben Sass's book in Them talks about how the larger the houses, the more loneliness there is in a community. There's just something about it, It's a, whether it's the cocooning factor or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what's happened is we're, we're educating these kids, and, and I agree with you, the schools do an amazing job with it, and we have community service opportunities that fill up in a heartbeat. Um, but the truth of the matter is that most of those kids are not moving back to our community. We're, we're sending out good citizens elsewhere, but, uh, but they're not coming back here, or few and far between. We're a dying breed, you and I. <laughs> Maybe. I see in my neighborhood some of the kids mm -hmm. come back. I see them there's, there's living some, there around some. There's some, but we're graduating. Yeah. I mean, even in, the, in, the, in a down year, we're graduating 500 to 600 kids. Right. Okay. What's the percentage of those kids that are going to mm -hmm. come back and live right. on Long Island, let alone right. back in right. Oceanside? Right. It's not easy to live here um, because of the money that you need as a young person. I was talking to one of the teachers at the middle school, and Joe Latore, and he was saying how he also, he wants to live here, you know, that's his big thing. Um, they're going to get married, he and his wife, and, and they're going to try and live here. And, but the reason why is because he loves his community. He th you know, he, I forgot where he came from, but, you know, he looks at our community after teaching here eight years and says, this is a place where I want to raise my children, and uh, they're going to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of because we were talking about almost like on, on the negative end. The positive end is, I mean... I just run into, and this is the great part of this job, is I just run into, into people that are just great people. I mean, that, that, are, that, you know, that are good, good people. I mean, the, the number of, of bad people or kids uh, that we come across, you know, granted, coming into the library, it's somewhat self-selecting. Uh, but I'm active out in the community, and, and it's, it's most people, um, most, most people help. And perhaps, because you asked me what we could do, and, and part of what we're trying to do here at the library is to, give people opportunities and, and to let them know how they can help. I, I think most people, if you ask them point blank, hey, listen, you know, I can really use your help with this, we'll find, we'll find time to, make, to, to do some stuff. But they need to, need to be motivated and they need to have an opportunity put to them. Tony, the uh, social media, the impact social media has had on the library. Yeah. 
positive, negative, or you, you find that you have to take the good with the bad? Oh, we no, one hundred percent positive. Okay. Um, I mean, the, the, we had some, you know, some so like I say, some of the cowards that, that would would take pot shots. But mm -hmm. the bottom line is what it's allowed us to do. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. Until I came on board, the way uh, programs and services and the databases that we have, the way that they were uh, communicated to the, to the the community was through our newsletter. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't read the newsletter. Okay, right. you weren't going to know about anything. Right. So we now have uh, one of the largest Facebook pages uh, on Long Island for any for any library. It, it's very active, and we've had comments and questions from a number of libraries across the country uh, because because it is so active. Uh, and we have Instagram, and we have Twitter, and we have YouTube, and God help me, we have Snapchat. So <laughs> it's it's been helpful to us tremendously in getting out the word as to what we have here, what we're doing here, mm -hmm. and I think that feeds in on itself. And we've taken some shots, you know, some criticism, and some of it was was good, positive criticism. You know, hey, you know, why didn't you do this? Or hey, you know, hey, hey you know, you could do that. And when we had the whole. Uh, uh, solar eclipse kerfuffle um, it was very gratifying that 90% uh, of the people came to came to our defense uh, when people criticized us about how we handled the uh, the solar eclipse classes. But like you say, you know, it, it's also it, it gives us great um, great feedback mm -hmm. so that we know what we're doing. Immediate feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and it's great. And we've had a number of people who have used social media to contact us in private, which is. To me, a very respectful way of doing it is, mm -hmm. in other words, we get private messages from time to time saying, listen, you know, my kid came in and we wanted to try to do this and boom, 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 and it didn't work. You know, what can we do? And we've, at times we've had to retrain staff, um, you know, and I always thank them for doing it on a private basis instead of blasting it out, at, you know, at the first, you know. Uh, I, you know, that's, I think that's also the school districts feel that too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be. If somebody had a complaint about a teacher, they went to the teacher or they went to the principal, and then they kind of worked their way up. Now, as soon as they hear something, they immediately slap it on social media. And one of the hardest lessons I learned when I was on the school board is that typically the first story I hear is the wrong story. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay? I mean, I can't tell you how many times people would come to me breathlessly saying, you know, this, the, the, this horrible thing happened. And then by the time I find out the, the truth, what went on, mm -hmm. maybe piece of it was accurate, but mostly it wasn't. And uh, initially as a new school board member, and I was a young guy, you know, I would, you know, go, go to battle charges, you know, did you hear what happened, this horrible thing? And then find out that no, it really didn't happen. <laughs> How old were you when you began on the school board? Uh, I was uh, 36. And, and that's relatively young to be a that's member really of the school young. board? That's really young. And looking back yeah. at it, um, uh, you know, I had uh, I had one one daughter who was uh, eight and the other one who was four, mm -hmm. um, and so it's very rare to have that you know the kids that are that young and, and be on the school board. Mm -hmm. um, but you know I, I went on because Marianne Lair told me it was one one meeting a month. You know it was going to take <laughs> it's going to take like an hour and a half a month of my time. The old bait and switch. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's what you told me when uh, you asked me would I want to be on the library. That's but right. I, absolutely. <laughs> so I. I I said that I was going to quote both of you. I've already quoted Richie. Okay. Do you mind? Yeah, okay. All right, here I go. I came back to my office a little before noon on a bright, sunny August Monday. Uh. My mail waited for me on the desk. A couple of bills, a bar association flyer about the annual charity golf tournament, a Staples catalog, a police detective's business card with the words, 
Call me by two, printed in clean black letters above the gold shield. Not good. <laughs> that is the opening, the great opening to Notary Public Enemy, and what a great hook. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, that was one of my, you know, I, I, that's, that's from the novel that I had right. published a few years ago. Um, I always wanted to write one. I probably started 50 of them. I never got past, you know, page eight. How long did it take you to write that paragraph? That paragraph? Yeah. Uh, probably two minutes. Uh, but once, I, once I actually sat down and, and started writing, um, and I got past, I got to like page nine, and then I got to page 20, and then uh, actually my daughter Amanda had to go to uh, a conference, and, um, and it was upstate New York, it was outside of Utica, and uh, it was one of those things where she had to be up there, and it was going to be a day, and then she was going to come home the second day. So it, was, it didn't make sense to go up and come back. Mm -hmm. So I checked into the Sheridan in Utica, which I don't really recommend. Uh, <laughs> but I sat there and I wrote for probably 48 hours. And I, I, and I say it kind of broke the back on the book. I probably got up to page about 80 or 90. Um, and then within five weeks or so, I had the first draft finished. You had the idea for the whole story at that point, or it just evolved? No, I, 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 knew, I knew the main story that I wanted. It was kind of based off of a, of a, a case that I had been kind of uh, a little bit involved with. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then I put it together, and then, uh, and then rewrote it, and rewrote it, and rewrote it, and you know the, the whole bit. And then, uh, you know, I sent it out to a few agents, and uh, a couple nibbled, but nobody, nobody bought. And then somebody, uh, and I kept putting it in a drawer. I mean, I finished writing, and I kept putting it in a drawer, putting it in a drawer. And then I got to write other things. I had some essays published and whatever. And then uh, somebody recommended to send it to some independents, so I sent it to three independent, uh, uh, two of them wanted it. One of them gave me a contract. They paid me. All right. And there we go. What sparked your interest in writing and literature and poetry? Where'd that all come from? Well, put the poetry aside. The, the, the writing I've always, I've always enjoyed. I've, I've always loved writing. And, and it's one of those activities where um, I lose complete track of time. You know, when I start, when I start really getting into it, um, I completely lose track of time. Um, Writing that novel is one of the most fun things I ever did because it was sort of like a jigsaw puzzle, and it and it, it consumed me as far as my driving time thinking, my shower time thinking, my walking time thinking. It was like a puzzle of putting it, you know pieces here and here, expanding here, putting in a red herring there. Um, but I've always written uh, written a lot. I've always enjoyed writing. Uh, the poetry didn't come until after I started the gazebos. After I started the summer gazebo readings, um, that after that first year. Uh, a number of the uh, the poets, especially one Judy Turk, were pounding me. You got to write. You, you know, you got to do poetry. Get to poetry. So I wrote the first poem I had written since like third grade, <laughs> and uh, sent it in. It got published, and I think I've I don't know thirty or forty poems that have been published since then. Um, the poetry I like because it's instant gratification. You kind of you, you write it. You kind of it's done. It's finished. Boom. Um, and uh, the, the the novels take longer. Were you inspired by John Grisham or, or Michael Connolly or any authors of that genre, or not really? No, I mean, but that's the kind of stuff that I read. So mm -hmm. I kind of wrote what I, you know, what I, I wrote what I read. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I can't say any one of them uh, particularly. There is a uh, he's passed on now. A fellow who wrote the Martha Martha Vineyard's murder mystery series, Philip Craig, mm -hmm. and uh, I uh, was able to. I was very lucky enough to, to correspond back, back and forth with him. And he was a fellow who wrote his first novel in his 30s. He then wrote like 17 novels, none of which got published, which 
the idea of sitting there and writing a writing a <laughs> wow. novel, not having it published and going right into the next one it amazes me. He then got these next ones. Uh, his next was published in his late fifties, and then he wrote one a year for probably fifteen or eighteen years until he passed. So it's uh, so. Tony, in your book, um, there is a theme or a takeaway, I guess, about connection to one's community. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about that. It, I mean, certainly, I guess the axiom is you write what you know. I mean, is that in your book by coincidence, or you intended your book to contain that? I, you know, I really didn't. I didn't. I, I, when I, it's funny looking back at it. Yeah, there's a theme of. Uh, um, of redemption and uh, of kind of uh, restoring the main character through uh, works and uh, charitable works in the community, but that was not anything that I ever intended going into it. It was really mm -hmm. I uh, I just was kind of writing this uh, murder mystery thriller based upon this one story that I knew you know real well the uh, case, and then I threw in a bunch of other cases that I was involved in and kind of changed it around a little bit. Um, I tried to write a couple of funny scenes, and then when I kind of when it was all said and done, actually after the first draft, a good, really good friend of mine, Bruce, uh, pointed out that the uh, the main character is a, a post rehab attorney who's who had lost everything, he lost his practice, lost his family, uh, and then he kind of tries to rebuild himself, um, and then runs into obstacles. But I made him too good. Okay, I made, made him too good. And I used the, his, the, the name that I, that I used, Estillo, um, was actually my grandmother's maiden name. Was, that's how I kind of just picked mm -hmm. it out. And uh, my friend pointed out that he thought that uh, it meant Saint Io, okay? <laughs> because he thought, it, you know, it's, everybody assumes it was based on me. Obviously, it's not. <laughs> but, uh, but he was still too good. And he was right. And I went back and I roughed him up and made him, pre-rehab, being a really bad guy, a really nasty guy, because that I think that impacted more. Uh, but yeah, I have, I have him using, uh, using charitable ways of, of reconnecting back into the community. What are you writing now? Are you, or are you writing anything I am, now? I am, listen, when I took this job, okay, and, and this is a podcast so you can't see me, so you know how badly I've failed at this. Um, part of what I said to, to my wife was that, uh, because obviously coming out of the library uh, meant a, a significant change in our finances. Um, and uh, but I said oh, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to I'm going to write, mm -hmm. and I'm going to work out, and I'm going to lose weight. It was it was the three W's. Okay, I haven't lost weight. I haven't been working out, and my writing has been sporadic. But I have uh, two, and a part of the thing is too. And I've been saying this now for years. I've been writing two books. One is kind of a follow up, uh, and the second one is a, is a fresh story. And every time I start writing the one, I want to start writing the second one. And every time I start writing the second one, I start wanting to write <laughs> the, the, the first one. Uh, but recently I got back in, into writing uh, uh, and I made, made a lot of progress with one of them. So I'm hoping that by, uh, by the summer I'll have uh, the second novel done. That's, that's the goal. Those were promises I made too when I retired. I was going to write and I was going to lose weight. And I didn't lose any weight yet. <laughs> And I've only written a little bit, you know. I barely just started my first novel, you know. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but I, very similar. I, the what something that intrigued me about Rob Blount, you know, was the amount of energy he puts in to what he does. And it's, I'm a fan of yours too. I think you you do the same thing. Um, you seem to be involved in so many different things. And the question I have for Rob is similar to the one I have for you. In how do you strike a balance? husband, father, 
uh, community member, library, um, community activities, assistant director, all those hats that you wear. And the legal practice. And the legal <laughs> practice. And so much of that legal practice is pro bono here, pro bono there, plus the, you know, the legit practice. It's, um, it's, a constant, it's a constant battle, okay? It's, uh, I will say, and I can tell you exactly when it was. It was July 14th, 1997. Um, I had a, a very good friend of mine uh, who was referring a lot of legal work to me. And it was right during the school board, too. I think well, I just had gotten off the school board at that point. And he came to me and he said, listen, he says, you know, you're not returning phone calls to, to my clients. You're not really handling my clients very well. Um, I, you know, I, I can't do it. And um, I said to my partner, I need to take a couple of days. And I did. And I came here to the Oceanside Library. And I started going through every management book that I could, every time book that I could. Um, I probably, in a two-day period, went through 30 or 40 books. I mean, I didn't read all of them, but I've been around. And I came across one book that really impacted my life, and it really changed it. And uh, so now I kind of do a like a semi-retreat with myself once a year or so, once every two years, and kind of recast you know everything that I've, that I've got to do. Um, I'm extraordinarily lucky that uh, my wife Angela has always been uh, supportive of, of everything and she's been uh, you know she you know she's never bothered you know she's never she's never complained about you know the time uh, but I do you know when the kids were small I used to make sure that I had dates with them the other thing I was very lucky with is uh, and I'm proud of too is that throughout the time my kids were in, in school I coached I did not miss a single thing I left a lot of money That's on great. the table mm -hmm. because there were times when I turned down work right. but I would come back I would leave, and so I'd go to a track meet at 3.30 in the afternoon. Now, this was especially before we were able to really uh, network where I could work from home. Uh, after dinner, 7.30, 8 o'clock, I'd go back to the office for two or three hours. And my wife would, you know, Angela was always good about it. Um, but I didn't miss anything that the kids did. If the kids had a, you know, I think the whole, there were actually two things. There was a poetry reading that they didn't tell me about. Ironically, and the other one was uh, Amanda made the uh, Italian National Honor Society and told me 15 minutes before it started, and you know, by phone while I was at my law office, I couldn't right. couldn't make it. So, but other than that, um, yeah, it's it's. It I reminds me of a quote that you, I think you were the first one to tell me. You heard Chevy Chase say one time, you know, people ask him about quality time with his kids, and he says it's not quality time, it's quantity time. Yeah, you know, we're just always there for them, and, and that's the best way to be. And if you miss something, it's something that you never can make up. Yep. Right. I, I felt very, very connected to their activities, and it, right. I made every effort to get to them because if I'm not there, it's something I will never make up. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's at a six-hour track meet where your daughter runs for yeah. ten seconds and knocks every <laughs> hurdle down, <laughs> yeah, still got to be there. <laughs> it's well, you know, it, it, it's it's that, and and you know, and I and I've said this to a lot of young parents too, and especially people. Uh, uh, people that work for me, okay, with, with attorneys and at least one of my partners, you know, I said, you, you, you can't, I, I won't let you miss this stuff because mm -hmm. uh, you'll wind up presenting the firm, you'll wind right. up presenting the practice, and, and just it's, it goes so fast. I mean, my mm -hmm. kids now are right. 32 and 28. It just, it goes so fast. It's. Uh, Did you have a close-knit family growing up? Oh, yeah. Well, we were really, look, we were always close. Um, it was, you know, my, my parents, I'm one of four. So I'm the oldest, and I have a brother two years younger, 
We're all one of four. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> um, so we were we were always close, but it was you know, we had, well, I'll take When I was nineteen, so my brother was seventeen. My youngest youngest sister was eleven. My mother was a bank teller, and she was murdered during a bank robbery. So um, that was the summer of my right after my freshman year in college. Um, and uh, there's when tragedies like that happen, there's two things that happen to families. One is that it just splinters them apart, mm-hmm. and the other one is that it just solidifies them. Um, and my dad, who was always, I won't say he was a distant parent, um, but he was like an old-fashioned Italian kind of, you know, kind of guy. You know, old parent of those days. Yeah, and we were all more afraid of him than we were anything else. And, uh, and actually, it's true. It's, I mean, my, my younger sister will say that all the time. That you know, that, that was her biggest fear was that you know we're going to be because he was you know a t- he was a tough guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he turned 180 degrees that day, pulled us all up into one of the bedrooms. Yeah. And uh, went right down the line. Said to me, "You're going back to school." He said, "You know, my brother, you're gonna you're gonna finish." And pop, 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 pop. And he held everything together and everybody together. So, to, so to this day, we're uh, we are all extremely close to the point where I think our kids are closer to being brothers and sisters than they are cousins. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, so it's uh, um, yeah. So that uh, that you know that has so impact. You're one of four. Yeah. Two boys, two girls. Two boys, two girls. Two, two boys, boys, two girls. girls. Yeah. Two boys, two girls. There you go. I'm the third in the line. I'm second. Yeah. And you were first. I'm the oldest. One, two, three. One, two, three. I'm the oldest. You know, so that was... Uh... Tony, let me uh, switch gears again a little bit sure. here. Um, it's been said, you've been quoted as saying oh, that yeah. all good ideas come to you in a bar. Yeah, uh, I said that when I was when I was doing the uh, you know the summer gazebo readings. You know the way. Okay with uh, it's actually was on it was on a radio show when I, that line when I first used that line. But uh, yeah, the way I came up with the gazebo readings, and, and actually this is I, I think this is somewhat interesting. Friend of mine, uh, very active. You know, when I was in high school, I was a class president, and I knew everybody, and I was pretty much friends with everybody. But you know, I was a football player. And uh, but a lot of my friends were were either like the AP kids, and I always say that back then there were thirty kids in the AP class, and I was the thirtieth out of the you know the third. So thirty out of seven hundred twenty wasn't bad, but it was you know still the thirtieth. Uh, but a lot of my friends were in, into drama and whatever, and so um, I would run from football practice down to the theater uh, whenever they needed somebody to you know punch somebody out on stage or to, to throw, you know, carry somebody over their shoulder off stage. That's what I would do. They would never let me have any lines, but I was, a, so I stayed friendly with them. So my friend Bruce got very active in this thing. And at the telephone bar in Manhattan, uh, they have these things where, you know, you can come in and you get 15 or 20 minutes. You have to bring five people and you can read anything that you want. And that kind of got me the idea, you know, Bob and Betsy had, had formed the, the uh, Schoolhouse Green and they had put up the gazebo. We were looking for something to do there. We're always looking to raise money, you know, for Kiwanis. And my kids were getting older at that point, and I said, you know, it'd be nice to have something to do on a Monday night. So I, when I started the gazebo, it was only supposed to be like 15 or 20 people, but it's, this is, I think, is a classic example of, of what I tried to do, and it was one of the times that it worked, was that I almost did like an interview with myself. I know this is going to sound bizarre, but as if I was being interviewed five years down the line, and I would, as I was running or, uh, you know, on the treadmill or in the show, you know, asking myself questions. Well, how did you get, how did you build this up? How did you do this? How did you do that? So I kind of reverse engineered it based upon this imaginary interview that I did. Um, and it goes with your... 
philosophy of looking towards the end, right? right. Yeah, you know, see where you want to go, and then you know, how how can right. we how can we back it out? And so I was asked, um, you know, in telling the story, I said, yeah, you know, that's a, somebody said, where'd you get the idea from the gazebo? I said, well, I got it in a bar, which is where I get all my good ideas. I, I don't I don't truly, uh, and actually, I think if anybody knows me, uh, I have had a policy for thirty years. I don't drink in Oceanside. Or Rockville Center. I, I don't at Jay Paul's or whatever. I'll have my one one beer. I don't. Massapequa was a different story. That's okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's still my stomping grounds, but but not here in Oceanside. I have to tell you that the gazebo readings and, and what you brought to Oceanside was the inspiration behind the summer reading series, the principals summer reading series, where each of the principals of the elementary schools in Oceanside began reading. Right at, at the, the gazebo. gazebo. Yeah, about yeah. about seven or eight years ago. Yeah, that's I tell you, it, it's really been. We've just finished. Well, we finished our thirteenth season. We're wow. getting ready for our fourteenth. Um, it's a beautiful way to spend a Monday night. It really is outside. You've shared also. Yeah. You, you've read. I've read yeah. there, but yeah. I've sat and listened mm -hmm. plenty of times too. Um, some are better than others. Some not not nights. Some individuals are yeah. better. Some, I mean, when I say better than others, the ones that are the best, unbelievable. The poets that are they, they yeah. you have they have you sitting on the edge of your seat and laughing and you know yeah. and and the ones that aren't the best are still good. Yeah, and the bottom line is it's ten minutes. So you can pretty much right. you know right. do anything for ten minutes. Tony, um, I'd like to go back to the library. Sure. You talked about future programs that we could look forward to. Right. So what's what's on the horizon for Oceanside? Well, I'll tell you, this weekend is a double feature, <laughs> right? We have uh, and you Bohemian know because... Rhapsody, because I saw it on the website, oh, Bohemian I... Rhapsody, and uh, what's the other one? Um, Star is Born. Yeah. Double, that's pretty good, because both of those are still playing in the theaters. I thought you were going to say that, because yeah. you are no. what a do you member think of I... the, aren't you? Well, he is. On the board? He's a great yeah, member I'm on of the board. Sure, I'm on the board. So that's... But you know this because you're a community member. Yeah, there you go. sure. We, um, the, the, the program I mentioned before, Connections, is, is we've kind of put this together. And, and, it, and like I said, it, it comes from the impetus of a whole bunch of different things. A CDC study that recently came out that said loneliness is epidemic uh, in the United States. It has a higher morbidity rate than obesity. It's about the equivalent wow. of smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Then I read a book called Palace for the People, which was about, and I don't really remember this happening, but maybe it was because I was on the school board at the time, but in the late 90s, in Chicago, over 880 people died during a heat wave in the United mm -hmm. States of America in the 1990s. And when a fellow went in and he looked at it, it was kind of what you would expect for most of the, you know, the richer the neighborhood, the fewer deaths, except that the neighborhood that had the least amount of deaths and the most amount of deaths were demographically identical. They were both almost 100% minority population. It was the difference between which neighborhood had people where they were always interacting. So somebody checked on Mrs. Johnson, mm -hmm. somebody, you know, and, and, wow. and they had the lowest number of deaths. And then uh, it was another thing was kind of funny is we had a... We, we've, we give courses every once in a while in games, you know, Mahjong or Canasta. And I had this group from, from Mahjong a few years ago when I first started. And when we were done, they said, you know, can we keep playing? And I said, fine, I have some empty space, you know, help yourselves. And they petered out after a couple of weeks. And then I had it again, I had it again for uh, Canasta. And three or four of them came to me and they said, can we, can we keep playing? And I said, sure. And I figured they would only go a week or two. They have now a group of about 20 or 25. Uh, they come every Monday morning. The laughter is so loud, I have to close every door in the place. Uh, and they've created a community for themselves. So we've now created a series of programs, and we're rolling out even more on opportunities for people. Having the lectures and having the movies and stuff is great. 
But what we're looking for are, are programs for all different ages where people are interacting with each other, where they're making a connection. So we've added, you know, we added Scrabble. Uh, we started a TED Talk. We've become uh, a TEDx facility. So every other Thursday, uh, we show, in this room, as a matter of fact, we show a 15-minute TED Talk, which are these amazing uh, lectures on disparate uh, topics. And we roll in the coffee. And we get between 15 and 20 seniors. And they come in for 45 minutes. They talk about... Uh, about the future of mind reading uh, using EEG. One person has the floor for forty-five minutes. Or no, they have, no, they all they, they, they all talk. Yeah, okay. we we've been sitting in just to kind of make sure everybody's playing nice in the sandbox. But eventually, they'll they'll be a self-run. Mm -hmm. We're also doing on February twenty-sixth. I think it is. Uh, we're doing the first dine around, um, and what that is is we've made reservations at a number of restaurants, gotten a reduced price or price fix. Uh, and people are registering here, and then on that date at 1 o'clock, they're going to go to the restaurant, these different restaurants, and they're going to sit at an Oceanside Library table, and hopefully they'll have seven or eight people that they didn't know before, and they'll be able to break bread with them, and maybe they'll develop a, a friendship or not. Um, we, had, we have a program we tried a couple of years ago. We're going to roll it back out in the spring where we're having personal trainer come in at three or four different times for one shot, Kind of a, a little, you know, talking about proper footwear and, and uh, you know, and, and hydration and taking them out, the group out for a walk, okay, and bringing them back. And that's it. But with the goal that whoever signs up, so whether it's five or eight or ten people or two people, doesn't make a difference, that now they have somebody that they know can go walking on that day mm -hmm. and that time, and maybe they'll continue it together, you know, mm -hmm. and, and create. Mm -hmm. And so these are the kinds of things that, that we're working on. Uh, it's act, unfortunately because of the snow, we're going to can cancel it tonight, but we have this program called Oceanside Library After Dark where it's information that we need to get out to 20-somethings, but we can't get them to come in the library, so we run it at a local bar. Friends of the Library provides appetizers. We do a little trivia, a little information, and, uh, and the kids get to, to, to meet with each other. So it's... Um, where, which bar is it? We move it around. Okay. We move it around. This actually, this, this one was supposed to be at the pantry diner in that back room. Right. Tony, I, I think it has come across loud and clear about your, your, your background, your involvement in the community, your career. Um, at this point, though, if you had to give somebody just starting out uh, with a career or education or connection to a community, looking back, based on all your experiences, uh, what, what, advice, what advice could you impart or would you impart to somebody who is getting ready to, to begin to, to establish roots in the community? Um, it's the same advice I've given every upcoming lawyer that wants to know how to, you know, how can I help market, you know, that kind of stuff. And that is find an issue or a problem or a cause that you personally believe in. Okay, that first one is for your main one. That has to be something that you believe in and then throw yourself into it without a view towards what am I going to get out of it. Um, and then things will blossom from there. Um, and the other, th you know, and, and the, the component piece to that is don't go in as a prima donna. Um, when I joined Kiwanis when I was in my 30s, because um, a lot of boomers didn't join service organizations, most of the guys were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And we had six guys named Cy, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I know that they thought that I was going to be just like a typical, you know, local 
politician kind of person, whatever you want to say, who stands out in the front and takes the accolades and shakes everybody's hand. And I specifically made sure that for the first uh, dozen events, I was in the back washing dishes. I never poked my head out. You know, we did spaghetti. Uh, you know, I, I made sure that I was doing the grunt work, mm-hmm. and that sent the message to them that I was serious about trying to help to be part of the community, and I wasn't joining just so that I could show my face. But yeah, but it, finding now what will happen is that you'll start doing that. And then people will say, well, this person's really active, and then they'll pull you into something else, and you'll get pulled in 17 different directions. But the first one, that key one's got to be something that you believe in. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Rich? You're asking me that same question? No. I'm, I'm not <laughs> qualified. I think that this has been a, uh, first of all, 55 minutes has elapsed since we began, and it seemed like we've been talking, you know, just we just started. That yeah. went very quickly, which means that, that you've held my interest, you've captivated us, and, and I think that you will have the interest of those who listen in on this. Well, right, this was an interview that we both wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, well, thank you. I mean, I, you know, any way that I can. We thank you for uh, the interview, and we also thank you for uh, what you do for the community all the time. Well, thank we, you. We reap the benefits. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony Iovino. Tom and I really enjoyed this interview today. I'd like to remind you, our power of three listeners, that you can contribute to the overtime episode by submitting questions or comments to the voice message feature at anchor.fm or our email, rtwtmc at gmail.com. Thank you.